0: and then invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter uh, 20. But as we do, I just see a couple of announcements, as you do, a couple of announcements. Actually, uh, change of plan. Instead of going to Exodus chapter uh, 20, invite you to turn with me to to the end, the opposite. Go to the other end of the Bible. Go to Revelation. (laughs) Revelation chapter 19. (laughs) Revelation chapter 19. And while you're turning there, just a couple of announcements. Um, it's uh, time to update the Redeemer Church directory. So if you'd like any changes made to your current information, um, or if you're new and haven't gotten the emails or anything yet and would like to be added to the directory, uh, just talk to Amanda, but she's not here today. She's sick. So we should pray for Amanda and Grayer. They're sick today. Uh, is is Jared here? He was here. He, wa- he left. Okay. So... Hang on to that. (laughs) Or you can email Amanda at admin at redeemerwestmichigan.org can find out uh, more there uh, and get signed up there that way. Um, And then a couple of other things. There's welcome bags on the table for the kids. There's an offering box on the table. Um, And if you're not involved in a home group, I encourage you to to, uh, think about joining home groups. We have two of them. One meets on Sunday nights, the first and third Sunday of each month. And uh, that is led by Paul and Josh. And then there's a Wednesday night group that meets every other Wednesday, and that's led by Pepe and Jared. And so just Pepe, raise your hand. Find Pepe uh, if you want to go to the Wednesday night group. What are you guys studying now? Foundations of Grace. The Foundations of Grace. Yes, okay. So it's like the church history. Uh, Yeah, we go there. Yeah. Okay. Is there's an Old Testament like historical figures? Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's a video series, right? And with a book study. And then uh, Sunday night, they're also doing a video series, attributes the attributes of God. So um, Paul and Josh, raise your hand. Josh is not here. Josh is not here. Okay. So you, sorry, guys. You got to carry all the load today, on that. Um, but and so uh, just. This morning let's read from Revelation chapter nineteen. This is still considered announcements, I guess. Um, but I don't know if your heart is heavy from the news of what's you know I don't know, take your pick of everything that's gone on this week. Uh but I think in particular of praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, with just what has happened there. And um, you know, where six people were murdered and um so I just want to take a moment and pray uh, for them and just pray for Jesus's comfort for them and their whole family. Um, and I was sharing with Janet earlier this week that like, um, you know, we often think of like Jesus, his tenderness, being a comfort, Jesus's love for his people, being a comfort. Um, um, but sometimes sometimes. And I would say oftentimes we we neglect to think of some other aspects of Jesus that are also comforting. So let me let me point to you one aspect of of Jesus. And so this would be Revelation chapter 19. And in verse six, John gets a vision of the kind of the marriage supper of the lamb. John says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of mighty waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give the give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. A couple weeks ago, I spoke about our earthly marriages are a picture, a microcosm of of the wedding of Christ and his church. It's not just a metaphor. It's that's the, that is what happens with Christ and his church in that last day. It's a, it's a wedding. His church is the bride. Christ is the lamb of God who was slain continues. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, right this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god then i fell down at his feet and worshiped him and he said to me you must not do that i am a fellow servant with you and brothers and your brothers who hold to the testimony of jesus worship god for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy so john gets a vision of what it will be like when christ and his people are united back together again but then i like the picture of what comes next And it may seem strange, but this is a comforting picture. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. Now, white horses were usually referred, you know, uh, the warrior horse. The generals would ride on the big white charger horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation's. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. (coughs) Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings the, ki- the flesh of captains the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men both free and slave both small and great and I saw the great I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army and the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who is in the in its presence, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That is a comforting passage. That is a comforting passage for the saints of God that one day, when Jesus Christ returns, he will vanquish and destroy all wickedness. All those who dead set sit themselves up against God and his anointed one, Jesus Christ. Sounds vicious. It sounds like this sounds like a, a, a deadly warrior. Yes. Our Savior is a merciful and gracious and compassionate Savior. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. But when he comes back to rescue his people, he will judge all wickedness. This is a comfort for the saints. So, in the light of the evil and wickedness that we see and I could recount a half a dozen things this last week that I have heard about that it's just it seems overwhelming take comfort that we have a Savior and Lord who is ruling and reigning in heaven and one day he will come back and in the midst of all of the evil and the wickedness he That does not go unseen. And Christ will come. And if you do not repent and ally yourself with Christ, that mighty warrior, you too will meet that fate. But if you do repent and trust in him, then he will make right all of the wickedness that has been done you and in this world. Amen. Amen. I feel like I should pray and send you out after that. <laughs> That's just the announcement. Um, but with that, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father in the world of midst, filled with all sorts of wickedness and evil, and we've witnessed that even just this last week with this terrible tragedy on Monday of the six people who are gunned down and murdered. And not only that, the many people that were celebrating the murderer, the wickedness doesn't seem to stop. And we thank you for these words of, comfort that you give us in revelation that Christ will come back and he will vanquish all evil forever and for good. But even now, Lord, in the middle of those who are suffering this heartache and anguish that we would pray that that by your grace, by the power of your spirit, that those who have suffered this from this tragedy would be comforted and would be given your peace that even in the middle of all of this that they would have hearts of forgiveness knowing that indeed you do forgive all who would turn to you and that they would trust in you and in your righteous judgment And Lord, we could go and catalog all of the various other evils that we've seen throughout this week, but we lay them all before you. We know that you are a gracious and merciful God. And we trust in your sovereign power over all things. And now, Heavenly Father, as we come to turn to your word as we continue our series on Uh, your commandments, your moral law that we would uh, speak to us this morning and that your word would penetrate into us and would do as the picture of Jesus has given, that it would be like a seed that goes into soil and produces, produces fruit. We pray that your word would be that seed that would go into the soils of our hearts and would produce fruitfulness in our lives. We ask you would do this in Christ's mighty and precious name and all God's people said. Amen and amen. We continue our series on the law of God. And let's go through our catechism question, shall we? What, which is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment is, thou shalt not steal. What is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The eighth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. Of course, this question is dealing with the seventh commandment here. Excuse me. We're on the eighth commandment. The eighth commandment on do not steal. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Again, Like the ones that have just come before it, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 was, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. This one also, very short, you shall not steal. The same as occurs in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I mean, uh, just as by way of reminder here, what are we dealing with when we're dealing with the Ten Commandments? We are dealing with uh, God's eternal moral laws. Now, these can be distinguished from many of the other commandments in the Old Testament because some of those were statutes and rules and stipulations that applied to Israel in uh, that time while they were in the land under that old covenant at Mount Sinai with Moses. But the foundation of that, which as we've seen throughout this series, the foundation of, of that, the moral foundation of that are these Ten Commandments. And that these are eternal moral laws written on human hearts. And breaking them is sin. And sin is deserving of God's wrath as it violates his eternal holiness, deserving of eternal punishment. So that applies to murder, adultery, and it also applies to do not steal. Do not steal. Now, before we get into kind of the outline here of some you know, the exposition here. Let me get to the underlying principle. And if you could follow along, you should see this in your handout. Um, you should have some space to fill this out if you would like to take notes. But what's the underlying principle? What's underneath there? What's under the assumption you shall not steal? Let me tell you what that underlying principle is. The underlying principle is personal private property rights personal, private, property rights. God has created us as persons who live in the world that he has made to for the time that we are here to have possessions. It's not wrong to have possessions. Now ultimately they are all his possessions and that we are stewarding of his possessions. We steward here on the created world, but the command to not steal presupposes that that item that you seek to take from somebody else actually belongs to them. That's theirs. This is a, a principle even into the garden, even at creation. That God has given us this pattern of work and reward and saving, and giving, work and reward. Work, despite what we sometimes want to think, work is not a consequence of the fall. Adam was given work to do in the garden before the fall. Now something happens to that work after the fall. It says, by the sweat of your brow you're going to toil, and there's going to be thorns. You're going to have difficult work. You're, you might have fruitless work on occasion. And it will be hard. But work itself is not evil. Work is actually rewarding. How many of you have experienced this where you've, you know, maybe you're like me. You're kind of indoor a lot. But then you go outside to do some chores that your wife, you know, make you do. And then you go and do them. And that it's, it's really rewarding. You sit down at the end of the day and you're like, Wow, I felt like I, you know, did something. You didn't feel that. Work is not a part of the fall, and you are to gain a reward for your work, and it's okay to have compensation for what you you do. And so, underlying this principle, so I, I think it just kind of helpful to kind of peel this back a little bit and you go, wait a second, it. You can't have the command to not steal. It does not make any sense without the concept of personal private property rights. And so this is why stealing is so bad. In the fifth commandment, uh, by dishonoring your fathers, and we looked at all the ways in which God has set up the authority in this world. And so if you reject those authorities Wrongly reject those authorities in the world, you're you're stealing. Basically, you're stealing honor from the authorities God has set up. When you murder somebody, you are stealing the life of that other person. When you commit adultery, you're stealing the spouse of another person. And when you steal, you're stealing the labor from another person, their work. So the Bible says, "Do not steal." Now, here's the question that I've sometimes heard when in discussions about this idea of personal property. We, you mean God has created us to actually have things. Yes. Well, what about this question? Doesn't the Bible teach socialism or communism? And so here's my nuanced answer. That's one of the most absurd suggestions I've ever heard. Now the idea they get this in from a couple of places. I know that was my not, my less nuanced version, but the idea they get that from a couple of places. That like look look at what the Spirit was doing in the early church in Acts chapter two and it's verse forty two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all believed were together and had all things in common. Ah, see, communism, right? They just all, they all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Yes, they did. That was wonderful. It was generous. The Spirit of God was moving in the hearts of people to care for those who also shared in that covenant relationship with their Savior. But did they forego all of their property? Look at chapter 4. It has a very similar thing. Verse 32, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now all the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the belongings, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. See? Nobody, Nobody claimed that they had their own property. It was kind of this, well... To that, I would say, yes, again, by the spirit of God, that people were, because they were now a part of a new covenant community, that they voluntarily did these sorts of things. But was this a mandatory thing? Is, is, where is the state here? And as a matter of fact, sometimes, again, we miss we, the big number, the big chapter uh, marker. Sometimes we miss the flow of thought. It's right on the heels of that passage. Because it says here, look and continue down in chapter 4. There was not a needy person among them, verse 34, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and uh, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as he had need. Okay, so again, kind of seems like, wow, it seems like they're they're taking care of one another's needs. But this is not a top-down, forced-by-the-state sort of thing. As a matter of fact, it says that Joseph, who was also uh, called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, But sometimes we miss that big chapter number, because what happens next? In in chapter 5. But... Okay, So you're to see Joseph here and contrasted with Ananias and his wife Sapphira. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So it's just crying here that he didn't sell, give him the whole field. No, Peter goes on to explain, no, it wasn't. It was that you lied, that you would give the whole field. You deceived the entire community. Look at what Peter says. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? You didn't have to sell it. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You, if you, could, sell, you could sell it. And keep. You didn't need to give me us the money. The problem was that he lied. And as a matter of fact, Peter says that he goes, and you've not just lied to men, you've lied to God. That's stealing. That's stealing. But behind that, in what P- we have in Peter's words here, is the affirmation of per- personal, private property rights. That was yours. That was yours to keep. So let's look at some of the ways in which stealing is forbidden for us in the scriptures and i'm going to use as our guide as i have on occasion throughout this series the westminster larger catechism westminster larger catechism asked a similar question to uh question um 80 that we just looked at in our catechism and that is what are the sins forbidden in the eighth commandment and And I'm only gonna pick some of these because these are long, you know, expositions almost in each of these paragraphs. But let me pick out six. I believe there's six. You should have six in your handout. Um, I think I had seven and I cut one. We're gonna look at six. We're gonna look at six of them in particular. Here's Here's the first one, theft, robbery, or receiving anything. And then I would say kind of that is stolen. I mean, the idea, the assumption here is that that's knowingly stolen, right? Theft, robbery, or receiving anything that is knowingly stolen. This is kind of what we generally think of when we think of theft. You go into a store. Maybe you've seen video clips of this on social media, people just walking into stores, especially in California, because I don't know what's the limit in California now. You could steal how much? $1,000. You could steal $1,000 of stuff, no charges. And this is why. this is why companies are just leaving. <laughs> So they can just walk right in, fill up their bag, fill up their cart, and it's like not even a shame. They're not even—they're being videotaped. (laughs) It's live streamed, and people—they don't care. They just do it. Just theft, walking right out. This, of course, is forbidden. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-eight says, "Let the thief no longer steal," which is interesting, right? This is a command given to the church, and you're going to have sinners who come into the church. You're going to have people who had probably a, a criminal record. They had a rap sheet and came into the church seeking forgiveness of their sins from Christ and receiving that. And then the Apostle Paul he says, no, but you kind of need to stop doing that. OK, that's not. That's not mixing law and gospel to say, you know, hey, you've received Christ, but, you know, you, for being a, a thief. Good. But you've got to quit stealing. You don't continue to do this. Let the thief no longer steal. But it's interesting. Paul says this in Ephesians 4. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Look at the transformation that would happen in the, the life of a thief or a criminal. They come in. You receive forgiveness of this thing. You're welcomed into the church, and it's like, hey, you gotta co- kind of stop seeing sinning. It, it stops stealing. And as a matter of fact, here, do your job and do it well. Follow, follow the example of your Savior, and then actually you'll receive reward, and then use that to give back, give to something to someone in need. So that's kind of the the obvious one theft and robbery. Here's the second one fraudulent dealing. And then they had, I grouped some other things there too. Let me read these injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between men and uh, between man and man or in matters of trust. So maybe you're, you're not talking about going and stealing possessions, but you could be dealing fraudulently, not acting honorably and Fulfilling your obligations in a contractual kind of arrangement, fraudulent dealing in matters of trust. They go on in their statement to talk about moving of landmarks and uh, extortion and usury and bribes and lawsuits and those kinds of things. This commandment would include that sort of thing, fraudulent dealing, not acting contractually. And I shared this at, with Janet. and She was like, oh, boy, you're going hard here today. And I said, well, what about, what about um, just kind of practical kind of ways? What about sharing your Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus password with a whole group of other people? Friends, that's theft. I mean, outside of your house, I mean, have you ever read the terms of contract for those things? Nobody? Yeah, I know. No, I... You just click it. I want to move on because, oh, man, that's 30 pages, TLDR. Well, you, you know, so you could use it in your household, like you could share among your household members, but if you're giving it out to a whole bunch of other people, friends, I hate to break it to you, that's theft. Aside from the fact maybe you shouldn't have Netflix anyway, but that's, that's, my, that's a man-centered rule imposed upon you. I'm not going to do that. So fraudulent dealing. How about number three, false weights and measures? Or, in the Confession puts this, engrossing commodities to enhance the price. Let me just say, um, of all of these different forms of theft, I mean, God hates all of these. False weights and measures, the Bible tells us that God hates those things. There's a few things that God lists, there's a few things in the Bible that God says he hates. And one of the things that actually he says a couple of times, that he hates God hates false weights and measures. Look at this, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 35 and 36. You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Says for you among your people that when your measurement of exchange has to be has to be consistent. You can't be manipulating things. You can't be rounding things off. Or Proverbs says this: a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. And again in Proverbs chapter twenty, unequal weights and unequal measures are both un- alike. An abomination to the Lord. Can you think, if you're familiar with the scriptures, can you think of a couple of other things that God says is an abomination to the Lord? This is an abomination. Uneven scales. Now, what does that mean? Well, that would be, you know, in the marketplace. That would be how they would kind of measure things and for payment. And so they would have scales to weigh out the amount of you know whatever that goods were and so you'd have something that would be marked something uh, weighing a certain weight but it didn't weigh that it would may have been marked that way but it didn't weigh that so and then you put it on there and it was like it that was stealing you didn't reach into the bag of somebody else and take their stuff but you you manipulated the system to steal so don't think that you're you know that this is limited to just strong arm robbery that's theft Let me give you an example from uh, (coughs) ancient Roman, uh, ancient Rome. In the later centuries of the Roman Empire, uh, they found this several years ago. I think I was in college when I saw this, where they they found this uh, collection of coins from, uh, I believe, the 3rd century, maybe 4th century, uh, 300s or so in the Roman Empire. (coughs) And they had this whole collection of these uh, siliquas, siliquas. Okay, these Roman coins. Okay, let me show you those. These are Roman coins. These are actually the same Roman coin, because eventually what happened, and these were made of silver. Okay, so silver being a valuable metal, a commodity, it was made out of silver, and uh, then eventually to kind of you know keep the units consistent and simple, and maybe you didn't everybody need to carry around a big old scale, so the emperor just kind of you know stamped his picture on it and said this is the amount. This is the value of it, okay? Right? But do you notice anything different about these these three? What is it? The size, yes. Okay, what happens here? This is what's known as coin clipping. This happened in, in the Roman Empire in that day. They would go around the outside, and then they would clip the silver off of the coins, and then take the collection of that silver clippings, and then melt it down, and then kind of stamp their own. And this is not, we're not talking like, like you know, uh, criminals doing this. The empire did this. Caesar did this. We're not talking like counterfeiters on the side. So here's, here you have the coin it's a little bit smaller, and then here's one that's quite a bit smaller. Now, why did they do that? Well, they were paying, <laughs> they had a little issue with their currency. And so they had to, in order to kind of maintain the empire, they started, uh, they started debasing their own currency, expanding the money supply, clipping little bits of, off of the coins, pressing it, and then making new coins out of it. So it was priced for this weight of silver, but it had less silver in it. You get, I think you get the point. They kept getting smaller and smaller. Good thing that we, this doesn't happen today, right? If you pull a coin out now today, if you notice that there's little ridges on it, like on a quarter, you know why those are there? Why those were always there? So you could tell whether it was clipped back when they were made out of something valuable. So, so we don't do that with our coins today. Good thing we don't do that today, right? Are you kidding me? Do you know what's happening right now? You know the greatest criminal in the United States right now is the US Federal Reserve and the US Treasury. It's the federal government, stealing from you. Stealing a lot of money from you. A lot. How much? Well, the CPI said 6 point. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) But the inflation is coming down. It's only, no. I could go on and on and on about this. If I were to tell you what's the greatest Ponzi scheme, you know who Ponzi, you know that old Ponzi scheme thing, some of you might say Bernie Madoff. I would say the greatest Ponzi scheme right now are the agencies in the federal government of the United States of America. Greatest Ponzi ever committed. That's theft. Some will say taxation is theft. Well, taxation can be theft, Jesus said, you know, well, pay to Caesar what is Caesar. Pay to owe to God what is God's. Paul says in Romans 13, if you pay, you pay what you owe. If honor, pay honor. If, if taxes, pay taxes. So it's taxation, you hear, you see that? It taxation is theft. Taxation can be theft. Currency debasement is always theft. It's never not theft. Number four. As likewise, idleness, prodigality, and wasteful gaming. Prodigality here would be kind of saying like a prodigal son or idleness, not working diligently at your job. Not working hard. Remember we saw a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says to the bond servants, he says, obey your earthly masters in everything. Uh, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with all with a will as to the Lord and not to a man. Work diligently. And not just to the level where people can see you as I. Oh, look, I'm working hard now that, you know. No, rendering service even when you're not seen, even when you're before an audience of one. And what about wasteful uh, gaming? I think gambling, the lottery, I, I, I did not know this. I wasn't following kind of like state law kind of stuff. But I saw that just last year, all of a sudden, I'm like, every single commercial and almost every sporting thing I watch is gambling, I, I'm like website, like the whole like there's five commercials, and four of them are like gambling apps or wagers or something like that. Have you noticed this? And I was like, oh, what had happened? Oh, well, they we apparently loosened those kinds of laws to make that that legal. According to Eighth Commandment, that's the type of thing that's considered theft. Don't do don't do that. What about number five? Unlawful callings. <clears throat> This would be referring to, like, not an ethical job. Which uh, maybe comes to mind the oldest profession. um, Now that's basically digitized and you can actually have your own website and subscribers, apparently. Or even things like this. And I know of, I actually know of situations exactly like this with the legalization of of marijuana in certain states is now that that becomes a big big business. People who are actually going into business doing that. You might have legal, an industry might be legal, but it doesn't mean it's lawful in God's eyes. That's not a lawful calling. And then number six, what about this? Inordinate prizing and affecting of worldly goods. Inordinate prizing and affecting of worldly goods. In a a way, it's like you could be stealing in your heart by prizing and affecting worldly goods or even being uh, envious of those who are in... Better or higher estate state than you. I was in a, a Bible study at a church many years ago, and we were talking about, they were talking, I think, going through the Sermon on the Mount and talking about some of Jesus' teachings. And um, they had the the Bible study leader to ask the question, well, can you... Um, um, you know this I think a scripture passage was about Jesus and and loving money and <clears throat> you should not for the love of money is the root of all evil and and the the teacher had asked the question well can poor people love love money and I think um, my my response caught I, the teacher off guard I remember there was kind of a little take it back I think he assumed the answer would be well poor people can't love money and I said of course they can you don't have to have it to love it. You don't if you're constantly wanting more greed. You don't you don't have to have money to to fall into the sin of loving money. And conversely, I would say you can actually have money without loving it. I know some people who just because of their skill and their acumen, they just know business. They, they can make money. I, I have family members. My grandfather was like that. He, he worked hard. He earned honestly. He lived frugally. He saved regularly. He gave generously. He invested wisely. And he had a lot of money, but he didn't love it. I bet you could think of some people like that, too. So, inordinate prizing of worldly goods. Check what's your heart do about worldly goods? Again, going back to that principle. It's okay to have those worldly goods. We recognize who is the rightful owner of all of it anyway. But while we're here on the, the earth, we have we he has given us personal, private property rights. The issue is What are we doing with it in our heart? And then how are we helping? And I love the questions, the catechism questions there. um, What our catechism question said about concerned about your own estate and the estate of others. What's forbidden is doing things illegal or illawful against the law of God to better your own estate at the expense of others and instead seeking to better your own estate, says it's, that's totally fine to do, and then the estate of others around you. The catechism uh, question for the larger one continues with this. And all other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him, or of enriching ourselves. And then he says they say again, and all other ways whereby we do unduly prejudice prejudice our own outward estate, and defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort of that estate which God hath given us. In a way, it's a it's theft in our heart if we continue to think that to not be content in the, the estate that God may temporarily place us in. And then to seek to, as we, if you get into an estate that, where the Lord may bless you, then to, to help others in need as well. Let me give you a couple of passages here from James chapter 2. And 1 John. For brother, a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Or 1 John chapter 3. But if anyone has the world's goods, so it's not wrong to have them. If anybody has the world's good and sees his brother need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And as we saw in the Ephesians passage, I might have that one here, Yes let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need blessing the, the 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 cycle of work and reward and giving so what do we do what do we do again we we talked about these commandments that there's several uses to this moral law of God there's the the First use of the law, that is to bring conviction of sin. It's to reflect the character of God and to show the own sinfulness of our our states. And then the second is uh, as a, a curb of the moral evil in society. And then the third use would be the practical use for believers as a guide for us. Let me look at the first and third here. If we've sinned in any of these ways of stealing... And it violate this command, it's two simple things. Just repent. Confess it. Ask forgiveness from the Lord. And if possible, make restitution. If you have stolen or defrauded somebody, if it's possible to do this, pay it back. Leviticus chapter 6. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of these things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. Great New Testament example for this is in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? We always think of him as being, you know, Little Zacchaeus he must have been short doesn't say he's short but I don't think does it say he's short it just says he couldn't see Jesus so he climbs in a tree doesn't say sycamore tree but it worked well for the song <laughs> So climbs up into the sycamore tree And then Jesus goes to his house Indeed salvation's come to your house and he goes And then Zacchaeus so he re- he sees the savior he recognizes who Jesus is he's going to get forgiveness for his sins and he believes in him and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give, I give to the poor. Because remember, he was a tax collector. And if I have defrauded anyone, you're a tax collector, you did. Anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Notice the conviction of our sin. And then out of the joy of the forgiveness for of, 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 uh, Christ, then we, re- we well, let's, I'm going to pay it back. If a thief, I'm no longer going to steal. As a matter of fact, I'm going to work really hard, and then I'm going to take that and give to others. This is what the Lord calls us to do. Brothers and sisters, do not steal. For the sake of Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that for your word. And we thank you for revealing to us the various ways that, that we may be stealing or defrauding uh, other people. Help us to remember that you indeed have given us the right to steward property here on this world. We thank that you that you have made us to work, that you have given us a reward for our work. But help us not to love those possessions in our heart, but seek to acquire them and use them for the benefit of those around us, our family and our friends, our church community, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We'd ask that you would, in your wisdom and your, your word, help us to, to earn honestly and to live frugally to save ge- to save regularly give generously and invest wisely mm-hmm. and lord help us if we have wronged or defrauded anyone in any way to we bring that before you we confess we repent and show us ways where we might re- make restitution and then Lord, we'd ask that you would give us the strength to call out theft wherever we may see it. For your sake and the sake of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen.